after the evening service. And so, um, on the table back there, you're more than welcome to even think, I look around the room and some may think, I'm past being used, right? No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm looking right at Chris. Oh, I'm, no, I'm, no, anyway. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, you're not. You're not past being used. You have no idea. I, I know we think it's a cute story, but listen, Caleb was 80 years old when he said I, he wanted the possession that God had. He wanted what God had for him. He said, I want that mountain, right? Remember that? And what did he do? I love this. Right? Was he physically capable of clearing off his possession? No. So he paid for it. <laughs> He paid somebody to go do it for him, but he was still doing it, right? Listen, think outside the box how God can use you. Don't think it's got to be just this way or that way or this way. There's myriad ways that you can be used by God, and, and he'll show you. Listen, if you had a heart and say, God, how do you want to use me now? How do you want to use me at this stage of life? How, you, how do you want to use me with my abilities or maybe you might think my inabilities? How can you use me? Listen, he will show you. Absolutely. And so this is, the, this is why he's bringing us through things. You know, can I tell you, <clears throat> that's actually a, um, that's a comforting thing. Because sometimes we go through things in life, we think they're for nothing. We just think, well, it's just, you know, trouble. And we can get really overcome by the trials that come into our life when we don't see a purpose in them. But we see from the Word of God Everything that comes into our life, there's a purpose. And you'll notice this, the purpose is always others, not ourselves. Can I tell you the struggles you're going through in your family and uh, with your relatives and with your children and with your thing? Listen, they're for somebody else. God will use them, right? Remember, we can't help but remember what, uh, what Joseph said to his brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive. And you might look at a situation you've gone through and you've experienced, you say, I have no clue how this will be usable. I'm telling you, with a heart open to God, he'll bring somebody down your path, listen, that you can help, that you can bring along, that you can witness, that you can, you can work in their life and say, oh, I had that too. Let me tell you what the Lord did, right? I had a, we had a time, oh, quite a few years ago, I don't know, almost 25 years ago now, and... Uh, and I uh, had a company, I had six employees probably, and uh, thought I'll never do that again. That was a nightmare. And employees are expensive. I don't like employees. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it came to the point of, you know what, this, this isn't really working. We got rid of employees. And, and, you know, it left with a lot of, you know, there's debt. There's a lot of debt there. And, and I had a, that's why, you know, you've got to love these bankruptcy lawyers. They're, they're so wonderful. Had a bankruptcy lawyer say, well, you know, you can just claim bankruptcy, you know. I said, no, I can't really. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I wasn't, we weren't bankrupt, right? But they said, well, here, you can do this. I said, no, I, I just can't go that way. And he said, all right, well, you're dumb. Essentially, that's what he said, you're dumb. Okay. It took 10 years, right? 10 years to, to work and to labor and get all of the vendors paid, get everything paid off. And we are a hundred times better than we would have been if we'd gone gone the, the easy route of bankruptcy, right? But you know, not too many years after that, we had a, a couple at church, and uh, they were going through some, some of the same issues uh, when we lived in Aurora, going through some of the same issues with the company and didn't know what to do, and it was proposed to them to claim bankruptcy. And I said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Trust me, don't do it. Listen, you'll, you'll be better off in the end if you just figure out a way 
God will, God will make a way for you to take care of it like you ought to. And I'm not saying there's never a, a, a time to, uh, uh, to avail yourself of the law that has been given us. I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, sometimes the easy route isn't the best way. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't take the advice. But, uh, but it was there. I could say, listen, don't do this. Listen, God, God provided. God showed up in a way. Uh, you know, it's one thing. I mean, and we don't beg for problems. But I, I would rather God show up than, than the, the bankruptcy court show up. It does much more for me when God shows up than it, when it does when the credit card company shows up for me. Right? I'm not saying we don't use any of these things. I'm just saying be careful how quickly we go down a certain way because maybe God is bringing things into our life that he can use us for somebody else. Don't, don't think that they don't have purpose. And that's when we get in trouble, when we think the trials in our life are without purpose. They are not. They're not without purpose. So we're going to see today another one, uh, the most, one of the most famous ones that we know of is King David, right? Well, he wasn't always king, was he? He, he, was, he was a young boy at one time. He was a young man at one time. But the, the thing that set David apart from Saul, who we looked at last week, the, the opposite of Saul is David. David had what? He had a heart for God. That is it right there, isn't it? It was the heart. God said, you know, he, he, he called David, God himself called David, a man after my own heart. He didn't say a man after my own flesh. Because he sinned in the flesh, didn't he? Big time. And it affected the rest of his life and his family. But he, had, he still had a heart for God even though he messed up. I'm not as concerned about somebody who falls in the flesh. I'm more concerned about somebody who lives righteously but doesn't have a heart for God. That's possible. Yeah, and that's empty. I'm not saying go out and live like you want. Obviously, we don't preach that, do we? The Bible doesn't teach that, does it? Yeah, people, I hear it all the time. Oh, you once saved, always saved people. You, you just think you can go live how you want. Well, there's probably a reason we don't have a lot of people in our church, right? Because we don't, we don't preach you can live how you want, and people don't like that, right? And so, anyway, that's another, another day and another subject. But David was, became an instrument of God. He had a heart for God. He had a desire for God, and he became an instrument for, uh, of God to defeat a giant, not only in his life, but it was in the life of all of Israel. David taking care of Goliath, oh, 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 this is, David taking care of Goliath was a benefit to the entire nation of Israel. Listen, there are some giants in your life, if you could get them under control, it would take care and benefit the rest of your family. And you don't, think, you don't see how they're affecting them, but they, it is. Yeah, that was free. But there, it's right there. And so David, here David is, he's going to f- defeat a giant, and he's going to give glory to God. And it's a wonderful thing that we're watching. And here's what we're going to see today, <clears throat> is that battles in the Christian life are inevitable. Battles in the Christian life, they are inevitable. But if we would cultivate a heart for God, the battles will give us purpose. Get, they're not something that God does to us. They're something that God does through us for somebody else. Right? I mean, you go right back to Joseph. How did he, how did he, live, how did he live with the disappointment that he did? Because he realized it was for others, not himself. That God used him as a vessel. And it's a powerful thing if you can come to that. And so we're going to see here today David's calling and his cause and his conflict uh, that he had. And in our text in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to get there in just a little bit. But how many of you ever have seen the redwood trees 
in California. Have anybody ever been out to the Red, seen the Redwoods? Chris, you live in California. You ever see the Redwoods? They're quite a bit further north. That was a long way north up there. I've only been through the very edges of them, of the smaller ones. I had to go north of uh, San Francisco to go pick up this big saw blade, a big 54-inch saw blade from an old mill. And I was, as you go through the Napa Valley, it's beautiful. And you go up into just north of the Napa Valley, and you'll come into the area of these smaller, the smaller redwoods. They're not the big ones, they're the small ones. But they're just, they're still, I mean, they just take your breath away almost. They're huge. Did you know that a redwood, many of those redwoods in California are 2,000 years old. Think about that. Some of those were sprouting up out of the ground when Jesus was born. It's incredible. Do you, know, do you know they're not, they, they are impervious to disease? That's how they get so large. There's no known disease that affects a redwood tree. If they do get a disease, it's, it's not enough to do anything to them. Uh, fire really is the only danger to a redwood. And when they get big enough, fire can't even damage them because the bark is so thick, the fire can't even get through it. These things are, they, they are incredible. They're incredible. Julius Caesar was reigning in Rome when some of the redwoods in California started growing. This is, it's, I mean, it's just an awesome, it's awesome thought. And we, we, we think of how big they are. We think of the tenacity to grow and everything like that. And uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thought to see these huge redwood trees. And I believe in the, in the panoply of, 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 of God's work on earth, David was a redwood. He wasn't impervious, unfortunately, right? But even, watch, even the disease of the, of the flesh, lust of the flesh that got to him didn't take him out. Uh, uh, listen, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and gets up again. What, the mark of a righteous man is not that he doesn't fall. The mark of a righteous man is that if he does fall, he gets up again. Seven times. He is always going to keep going. David, even though he had trouble in his life and, and battles in his flesh, he was like a redwood. It, it was, it, his, it, listen, it didn't affect his heart for God. He, was, he, he mourned over his sin. He mourned when he said against thee and thee only have I sinned. What he was mourning over is what it did to his relationship between him and God. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he sinned against uh, Uriah. Uh, a cousin of mine just pointed this out last week, I think it was. I hadn't even thought about it in this way when he talked about when, when people wonder, well, why would, why would he say against thee and thee only have I sinned? He sinned against all these other people. Watch this. Because in your mind, when you sin against somebody else, it's easy to say, yeah, but they did this and they did that and they did this, which caused me to do this, right? You, you can justify yourself when you sin against man. You can't justify yourself against God. Amen. And he said against thee and thee. Listen, if you don't get that done first, that you've sinned against God, you won't get the other things taken care of that you ought to. And so it starts there. But you see David's heart in that and, and uh, how no doubt he was a man after God's own heart. There was no king in Israel that was more loved than David. There was, there's no king in Israel that, that brought uh, Israel to the pinnacle that it was. Solomon brought it to a great wealth, a pinnacle of wealth, but he didn't bring Israel's heart, right? He brought Israel's heart, Solomon brought Israel's heart with his heart, which he fell away from God. And the Bible says that all of his Foreign wives stole his heart from God. And that's how, that's how Saul brought Israel, or Samuel, Solomon, too many S's. That's how Solomon brought Israel, but no, David brought Israel's heart to God with him. 
And he was, a, he was a man after God's own heart. He was a loved king. They mourned over him. They missed him. They, they loved David. And, uh, but you know what else David is an example of? David is an example of Christian service. A Christian service. Last week we saw that Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted a king. God gave them a king. And what did, he, what did God tell Samuel? Don't worry, it's not you that, they, that they're against, it's me. It's not you, it's me. Just give them what they want. Right? They don't want to, they don't want to be a led, led by a king they can't see. They've lost their faith. They want to live by sight now. And we do this in our own life. Think about all the things that, that we make king in our life instead of God, just because we can see it and trust in it and think it's, you know, it's more tangible than living by faith. And So don't be too sore on Saul. Oh, that's, there's a good one. I'll write that down. Sore on Saul. Because uh, we can be the same way, right? And so... What happened with Saul was he was commanded to, to bring the army, convene the army together and go out and fight the Philistines. And, and at the last command, uh, uh, Samuel tells him, in seven days, get the armies together against the Philistines. And in seven days, I'll show up and I'll, get, I'll, I'll make an offering before we go into battle. <clears throat> and we know what happens at second, first Samuel chapter 13. You know, they... they uh, they, uh, Saul gets them all together. He, they wait day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. And all of a sudden Saul goes, well, he's not coming. And what does he do? He goes and he offers a sacrifice, which he had no jurisdiction to do. He had no authority to do. He was, he was not the, 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 the prophet. He was not the priest. He, was not, he didn't have that position to do that. And uh, because of that sin, because it was the word of the Lord that told him to wait... Because of that sin, uh, Samuel told him, God has taken the kingdom from you and he's going to give it to somebody better than you. Ouch. Wow. What made David better? His wealth? I mean, he was an incredible warrior. His, 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 his ability to fight? His leadership qualities? It was his heart. People say, oh, how could God say something better? No, it was his heart. God, he had a better heart than Saul did. And so God put him away, put Saul away from being king. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, where we are here, verse, uh, verse number 7. We're looking at David's calling. Samuel, Saul is no longer king. And now God tells Samuel, go find another king. Go to the house of Jesse. Look at verse 7. But the Lord saith unto Samuel, <clears throat> look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, amen, because I have <laughs> refused him. Jim's like, oh, that's good. Let me think about that. <laughs> I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. This has got to be one of the most misused verses you'll ever hear when you teach and, and try to disciple somebody in holiness and separation and living like a child of God ought to. Well, God, God, God looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. You're just a Pharisee that looks on the outward appearance. Um, I don't think that's the context of the verse. Amen. He was talking about Saul was looking for a leader based on what a, what a, a leader who would lead an army to battle should look like. Bigger and stronger and fearless and blah, you know one of those guys, and uh, God like He did with Gideon. It's like no, this is not how I lead wars. Right? 
He wasn't talking about living a holy life. It's not what he was talking about. Because we know in that case what is on the inside finds its way to the outside. We know, I've said this, chaos on the inside will always show up as chaos on the outside. Yeah. You know, our life, we should look like peace. There should be peace. The peace inside should come out and look like peace. If it doesn't, it's a total contradiction to what supposedly has gone on on the inside. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Well, this is an important thing going on. We're not even going to sit down. It's like, get him now, quickly. And he sent and he brought him and he was ruddy. They say that means kind of red. <laughs> yeah. With all of a beautiful countenance, whatever. And goodly to look on. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. It says, For Samuel took a horn of oil, <clears throat> anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Do you know his brothers knew he was anointed king? His brothers knew he was. This is, this is what, why Samuel came and he said, and, and he, here's what he said, uh, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And he anointed him. That, that anointing oil was a picture of the Holy Spirit. He was, he was, he was uh, not indwelt, we would say, uh, but, but filled right, with the power of the Spirit of God. And so... We see here the calling of David. What was the purpose? Why was he called? Well, we know this. He was going to be the next king of Israel, right? First Samuel, look at, look at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing have I, I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have proved, I have provided me a king among his sons. And so... There were two reasons here why a new king was being chosen of the Lord. First of all, the reason God was choosing a king is because we see the, uh, the difference between when man chooses a king and when God chooses a king. Man chose Saul. God chose David. Man chose Saul. Why? He was tall. He was head and shoulders above every heightwise above everybody else. He looked good to lead him into their battles. They they picked Saul by sight. God, listen. God chose the the smallest, youngest, most awkward looking. Not awkward, but didn't look like the rest of them, right? The one that the weakest. And he says, "Why did he choose him? Because David had a heart in that little body." Bigger than Saul had in that big body. <clears throat> and God wanted a heart. And that's why he chose him. And God, listen, that, that should encourage you, friend. God will choose your, God wants your heart. 
You may not have, you might not seem like you have much to offer the world. You might see, not seem like you, you have all of the intellect. You might not seem like you have all the Bible knowledge. You might not think you have all of the lineage and the heritage behind you of preacher after preacher after preacher. And you might have grown up in a home that was reprobate and never came to Christ. And you're the only one that's a Christian. And it might seem like you don't have enough uh, uh, of, uh, tools available for God to use you. But I'm telling you, if you have a heart like David, God will use you. Absolutely. And that's a good thing. It absolutely is. First Samuel 8 and verse 5, He said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the nations. This was Israel's choice, right? 15 and verse 11, 1 Samuel. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Well, see, God was looking for a man after his own heart. That wasn't Saul. It wasn't Saul at all. Look at verse 7 in our text. <clears throat> I just read it. Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Who have they refused? He refused all the other brothers that were bigger, looked stronger, more warlike. He refused them. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Do you know there's some occasions where it's not wrong to look on the outward appearance for a job? Yeah. You know it used to be to be a stewardess, you had to be at least, I think, five foot seven or five foot eight, because you had to reach into the overhead compartments. Right? Do you know to be an airborne ranger? I don't know if it's still there, but you used to have to be five foot eight to be an airborne ranger. To jump out of planes. I didn't know that because a guy asked one time when I was a lot younger, if I was military, I said, as airborne ranger. He said, no, you weren't. I said, yeah, oh, yeah, I was teasing him. Yeah, yeah I was. You got to be 5'8 to be a ranger. <laughs> then I said, well, I was ejected. I was a pilot. I had to eject and lost about three inches of height. It's terrible on the back. And whenever you eject, I mean, I, I come up with all sorts of lies. Anyway, <laughs> joking. But, uh, no, there's sometimes when it's not wrong to look on the outward appearance for something, right? I mean, anyway, you, you, can, you can fill in the blanks there and see that in your own mind. But for this job, what? To be king of Israel was a spiritual job. No, in God's battles, they're spiritual. And that's why he wants a heart before he wants a stature. Listen, there are a lot of people out there that are ministering for God in their, in their physical stature and ability, in their winsomeness, in their big smile, in their ability to communicate. But they don't have a heart. And then you'll see a guy like Bobby Robertson, who's long passed away, not long passed away, he's passed away now, probably a fourth grade education. Yeah, humble man. You know what he ran? About 3,500 in their church in... in um, and uh, over in uh, Walkertown, North Carolina, 3,500. I was in their church one Wednesday night when I was on a work, uh, work trip years ago. And uh, I looked on their board of, of attendance that, that on that, from that last Sunday, 3,500, 900 and some on the buses in the middle of nowhere in Walkertown, North Carolina, fourth grade. You know what? He had a heart for God. He loved God. If you listen to his messages, oh, then no, they weren't deep. They weren't profound. You weren't digging to the bottom going, oh, wow. No, but he loved God. 
And it was so, it was so evident. It was so evident in, in, in the ministry that you, that you see there. And uh, that's what God wants. That's what he wants. And uh, that's what he wanted of David because it was a spiritual battle, not a physical one. Listen, notice David's heart in the 23rd Psalm. Listen, to, this is what David had. And you, and you, you can kind of juxtapose it with the verses in the 23rd Psalm here. You can go put them side by side. Here it is. He had a believing heart. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. He had a believing heart. He had a teachable heart. He said, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. The, the imagery there is of feeding and nourishing. Right? He had a teachable heart. He had a holy heart. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. When he sinned, the sin that he had, he, you go through the, through the Psalms and you see what he wrote about it. He says, my bones are broken. My, he said, search me, O God, and, and, and know me and know, know every part of me and search me and find any wicked way in me. Why? He wanted God to reveal every aspect of wickedness in his heart because he didn't want it there. He wanted a heart for God. Yeah, he had a holy heart. He had a confident heart. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I like that. He had a confident heart. He had a th thankful heart when he said, my cup runneth over. He had a fixed heart when he said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David had a heart for God. He had a heart for God. We see his calling, and we're going to not get far past this today. But there was a process to the calling as well. God guided Samuel through the process of selecting the next king. And why did God bring him through this process? Because I believe God wanted Samuel to see as well that it's not the outward that determines whether somebody's going to be successful for God, but it's the heart. Do you know Samuel was looking at the statures as well? Well, he was. He started, you know, probably with the oldest one, worked his way down, and God had to tell him each time, nope, not that one. No. And you, why did God say, look not on his stature? Because God knew he was looking on their stature. Right? Yeah. Samuel needed to see the process. Samuel needed to see it as well. Yeah? Look not on his stature. He went through all of them, all of the seven sons, and finally, Jesse goes, oh, David, go get David. Hey, Dad, what do you want? Right? <laughs> Brothers are thinking, no, definitely not. Yeah. It's the heart. It's what it's all about. Acts 13.22 says, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony, and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. God said this, A man after mine own heart which shall fulfill all my will. Do you not think the omniscient God knows everything? You know what I think the greatest thing God could say about any of us in here? Is that we had a heart like David. That God could say, I know his heart, and he has a heart after me. She has a heart after me. Man, that'd be the, that would be the greatest thing you could hear 
out of the heart and mind of God. Absolutely. Robert Murray McShane, he wrote to a missionary friend of his just after he had been ordained and sent out as a missionary. And McShane said this, quote, In great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. I like that. God wants your heart. Why? He's got a job for you. He's got people to bring in your path. He's got spiritual battles for you to fight. He's got maybe some physical battles to fight uh, that need to be taken care of. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed David. And he anointed David as king. Did he become king that day? No. How many remember how many years from that point it was before David became king? Anybody remember the years? It was over 10. You can blurt out wrong answers. It's okay. I'll only laugh a little bit. <laughs> nope. 14 years. Yeah. Did you have it? Yay. The prize today is you get your pick out of the, out of the, no. Oh, there's a lot of money in there. <laughs> 14 years. Do you realize he would be, this, the same type of anointing, he'd be anointed two times more, two more times? Three times he was going to be anointed by God, by, by the man of God to be king over Israel. The final time was when Samuel, uh, Samuel and Jonathan had died and they rushed him down. I've been in, the, I've been in the, the, that underground area where they say that they anointed David as king uh, in secret. They, they had to do it in secret and, and the priest came and anointed him and, and uh, they set him up on the throne and blew the trumpet and the king had been chosen while Samuel, uh, Samuel's last son was, or Saul's last son was trying to uh, abdicate the throne and get the throne and all of the mess that comes with that. And, uh, and he was, that was the third time, the third time that he was anointed. And uh, what was the significance here of the anointing? I said it was the Holy Spirit. Don't forget this. We can't do what God has us to do in the flesh. You can have a heart for God, but whatever God gives you, puts on your heart to do, it's, gotta be, it's got to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You won't accomplish it in yourself. And listen, that's liberating. That's liberating. I don't have to, listen to me as a pastor, I don't have to rest on my abilities or inabilities. I don't have to rest on if this doesn't work, it's this problem or that problem. I don't have to rest on any of that. All I have to do is have a heart for God, operate in the spirit of God, and leave it to him. Leave it to him and he'll do the rest. Let me tell you something. When David fought Goliath, and we're going to see this one of these days here soon, and this, we're going to get there, not this week, but David had a cause, and we'll see that. But even, even with the fight with Goliath, he had expertise with a sling, no doubt. Uh, he knew what he was doing, but uh, the, the moment that rock left, to land where it did in the armament of, of, of Goliath was God. It absolutely was. And what I always love to point out, and you've heard it a million times, all right? I know, but I'm going to say it again. You know what else was of God? 
the Bible says that Goliath fell forward. A rock hit him. No, he fell forward. Because God slapped him in the back of the head. That's why. So, Amen. May God help us to have a heart like David. And God help us to have a heart after him. And uh, that's what he wants to use. That's, what, that's the only thing he can use. Yeah. I would love to spend the time to show you the difference between Saul and David. When, when sin came to Saul, he should have abdicated the throne and gave it over to David. Right. It's a beautiful picture of our flesh and what we do with God. When we, listen, when we get saved, we should abdicate the throne and give it over to somebody better than us, Jesus, in our life. But Sam, Saul didn't do that. He lived in the flesh. And so often believers, they'll get saved, amen, you know, they'll come to Christ, but they'll never abdicate the throne of their life and let God take over. And there's a beautiful picture there between the difference between Saul and David, and I don't have time to go into that today. But let's be a David. Let's have a heart after God. He wants to use you. He has a purpose in everything that he's bringing into your life. He has a purpose behind it. And uh, you just make sure, listen, make sure your heart's right. What does it say over in Proverbs? Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What does that word keep mean? To guard and protect. How do you guard your heart? Well, you, listen, you put a fence around, uh, uh, around what you allow into your life. That can take your... What took, what took, Saul, what took Solomon's heart? Right? All of the women. And it wasn't just that they were women. They were foreign women with foreign gods. You know, here, here's Solomon dedicating and offering at the dedication of the temple. What an outstanding scene that must have been. And then years later, he's offering incense to Ashtoreth and to the gods of his wife. What happened? The Bible, God said it. They took his heart. You know what he shouldn't... You know what was already said in Deuteronomy? Was that the king was not to amass horses or money or wives. Or foreign, especially foreign wives. An Israelite was not supposed to marry a non-Israelite. Why? Well, I think God knows. Because they'll take your heart. Be careful what, what you allow to get into your heart. Be careful what takes you... If, listen, whatever is taking you away from God is, is what is affecting your heart, and you need to get it out. You need to get it out. Father, would you help us? I think everybody in this class here today desires to have a greater heart for you. They love you today. They're overwhelmed with what you've done for them, what you've done in our lives, the way you use us, the way your grace and your mercy seems to just roll over us at all times. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that our heart, we don't always guard it like we ought to. We get caught off guard. And the world is overwhelming at times. And things attack our heart. And we know it. <clears throat> and Father, we ask you to help us by the Holy Spirit, to have the discernment and the vision to be able to see those things that are attacking our heart and, and purge them out of our life. May we spend a time even uh, just uh, today and this week coming up to say, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Is there something in the heart that I've allowed that's, that's taking it away from you? We'll ask you to do that. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We'll be back here in just a few minutes.